see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your humble host, Sean Riley. As one of the most successful Pack Expo Las Vegas and healthcare packaging expos ever fades further into our rearview mirror, it's time to turn our attention to the best regional packaging show in North America, if not the world, Pack Expo East 2022. This biannual event brings over 400 leading suppliers, together with 7,000 packaging and processing buyers from the rich Northeast Corridor of CPGs and pharmaceutical companies. For three days, March 21st to the 23rd at the Pennsylvania Convention Center, attendees drive, train, and fly into Philadelphia for the one show in the first half of the year that offers all the staples of the shows in the Pack Expo portfolio of trade shows in an environment that allows for more one-on-one time between exhibitors and attendees. Let's wet your whistle for some of the best-in-class technology you'll see in Philadelphia with some of the top trends and technologies our own PMMI Media Group editors uncovered at Pack Expo Las Vegas. Let's hear from Aaron Hand from Automation World, Matt Reynolds, Packaging World, Stephanie Neal from OEM Magazine, and Karen Sukney from Healthcare Packaging about the things that you need to know before you head over to PackExpoEast.com to register. Aaron, we talked a little bit before and you were telling me how you were able to catch a little bit of the Cold Pressure Council conference, get some of the education from there that, you know, you can use later in a story. Anything you picked up over there that, you know, you might want to share with the audience? Sure. So, yeah, just just for a little while, I managed to head up upstairs in the North Hall and go to the Cold Pressure Council. So uh, the session that I sat in on was uh, actually talking about the possibility of using high-pressure processing for um, plant-based proteins. So, uh, spoiler alert, uh, they're not really yet, but he was looking more at kind of the science behind. When you use high-pressure processing for actual meat, you, you get you know, beef that was red that now looks white by the time it gets enough pressure on it to actually kill the germs. With plant-based proteins, it actually works better. So you don't have the, the degradation because it's not a complex material to begin with. That was actually pretty interesting and just thinking about the concept of combining HPP with plant-based proteins. But also just separately then back on the show floor, there's a lot of conversations that I'm having with people about high pressure processing and also about plant-based proteins separately. So it's been kind of interesting. Um, I was over at the GEA booth and, and they're showing systems that they've been using for other foods that are now being used for plant-based proteins. So their uh, centrifugal decanter, for example, they're using to separate out proteins from soy 
for example, or also their power grind, which would normally be used to grind up beef, mm -hmm. you know, ground beef, is being used to grind up plant-based proteins. Um, so it's a whole different process, but they can use the same machines. So, um, and then separately, uh, high-pressure processing had a pretty interesting discussion today with uh, JBT of Ewer, which has just come out with uh, a new HPP system where they can run things not just in individually packaged bottles, mm -hmm. for example, but also in bulk, and they can do it on the same line. So they'll have two baskets, and this basket could be full of two-ounce shots or one-and-a-half-liter bottles or whatever they can pack in there, and the next basket might have a bag that um, is filled in bulk. And that lets them fill it up to, like, 95% pack efficiency as opposed to those bottles or you're going to have a lot of wasted space in between there. Um, but it gives the flexibility to pack those better, but also later to be able to put those products into, say, a glass bottle, which you can't do HPP on a glass bottle right. or a carton or on aluminum. So it gives them much more flexibility in what they can do with that packaging. And that's interesting because I, it is something I've, I've will admit I've thought about is how the influx of plant-based proteins and how Burger King has them now. I mean, everybody has plant-based proteins, but how that has affected from a food processing standpoint. So it sounds like what you're saying is they have ways to adapt it where you can use the same machinery. Obviously, they're going to clean it all out and stuff like that, but the same machinery can be applied to plant-based proteins as it can to regular proteins. Yes. That's safe to say? Yes. Well, if there's one person that knows how to talk about flexibility, it's our Matt Reynolds. I mean, this guy covers flexibility in packaging like I'm a it's nobody's business. What's that? I'm a gymnast. Like a gymnast. Yeah, much better segue than I had. Uh, what have you seen out there on the floor, Matt? Well, uh, one of the speaking of flexibility, one of the systems within machines that historically has been less flexible would be uh, like material handling or, or anything, any kind of track systems that are mechanical. So mechanical means the speed it's going on one side of the track, it's going on on the other side of the track because they're linked. Uh, but within the last, I would say, six, eight years, we've seen these uh, servo, linear servo track systems that instead of each mover on a, on a track being linked or uh, th these movers are then individual and they're capable of moving themselves via electromagnetic forces. Um, and there are three big ones. The, there's the iTrack from Rockwell. Okay. There's XTS from uh, Beckoff and uh, Acapost track from BNR. So those are the three. And it's interesting because we've had a long interval since the last show due to the pandemic. Right. So what had been a slow kind of gradual evolution really seems to have taken a step forward at this show. And these track systems were almost exclusively, I could find them, but they would almost exclusively be in those controls booths. They'd be at the Beckoff booth or they'd be at the, the BNR booth. Well, at this show, what struck me is I'm seeing them on the show floor in the OEM's booths. So they're actually incorporated into the machines. Uh, there's a couple of good examples of these. Uh, the most obvious one was there's a, a joint between a PharmaWorks, uh, it's a Promac uh, company, uh, PharmaWorks and Serpa. Mm -hmm. um, as the handshake between those two machines as, as they're integrated is a, is a Beckoff X, uh, XTS system, uh, uh, linear transport. Uh, also in the Promac booth is uh, Bartelt. They basically invented the... Uh, the horizontal form fill seal systems like 40 years ago. Yep. And they're using these track systems. They're using the iTrack from Rockwell to great effect. And uh, today I saw um, a washdown uh, track system from the XTS, also from Beckoff. So two different varieties there from Bartelt. It struck me that there was a Schubert machine, a Lightline Schubert machine, that uh, the person wasn't even sure which track system it was. It was in there. And it was their Lightline model. And the Lightline model means that 
this is kind of their 90% off the shelf version, their lower end model. Mm -hmm. So even in Schubert's lower end models, uh, is this forgettable uh, track system. In this case, it was for a, a real application, a, a YAS, I think a YASO um, uh, ice cream bars. Anyways, it was, it was a real application, and it was almost forgettable that, the, that, that these track systems are already incorporated in the machinery uh, it's themselves. So it's funny to watch that uh, evolution go down from the controls. And then the next step on that is these planar systems, which currently are only in the controls booths. Uh, but I would expect maybe by Chicago, we'll start to see a few in actual OEM applications. That's interesting because we, we had this yesterday, um, the Daily Daily, and we were talking about how robotics, this is, we've seen this with robotics where it's been a slow evolution. And then again, because we had this gap of you know 18 months of not having a show, it seems like here, everywhere you go now, you're seeing automation and robotics that, that can be applied in, in almost every application versus it being, you know, kind of tucked away in the corner. So that's another great example of something that, you know, you didn't expect to see kind of ramp up overnight, but overnight was 18 20 months. months. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, that does tie in, I think, with something that Steffi and I were talking about before as well with the, um, I guess, an intelligent devices. Yeah, well, as OEMs are adopting more technology, as Matt's saying, we're seeing these, these systems at the OEM and they're building machines around them. What I'm seeing now is engineering made easy. So um, like the drive companies, the motion control companies like Lenda is doing more intelligent drives. They're putting preset technology applications in there for positioning and speed so that the engineer doesn't have to do that. Um, it will just automatically, you can get some software downloaded for free and it automatically sets the set point so that you don't have to do all that programming. And then as part of that, there's also auto-tuning with the drive and the machine. So typically it's an experienced engineer who has to sit there for hours and listen and they know, you know, what it sounds like when the machine is working correctly or when it's not. But they're using their own sensories to figure out if it's working or not. Well, now, Lenza has put some auto-tuning in there, so there's some algorithms that are automatically adjusting the drive with the machine so that it's tuning itself. I also saw an example over at Yaskawa at the robotic palletizer. They're working with a company called Mujin Corporation, and they have some... 3D scanning technology or 3D imaging technology. So typically, I think, you know, when we're palletizing, we're using the same dimension of box and putting right. it in its, in its a pattern. But it, with the influx of e-commerce buying, there's all these different size boxes now, mm -hmm. um, and there's also different volumes. So this is automatically in real time adjusting the palletizer to pick up different size boxes and put it into different formations and patterns. So again, it's just another example of adding intelligence into the devices, into the drives, into the robots to make sure that it's um, easily executed and takes a lot of the burden off of the engineer. And this is another theme that we've seen throughout the show. There was always this perception that, you know, robotics and automation are coming to take jobs or coming to replace humans. And you just gave, again, perfect examples where it's not replacing them. It's making, A, their job easier and allowing, I'm pretty sure an engineer would be better served doing some engineering versus listening to, you know, hours of a thing to, to hear and pick up sounds. So this is just another example. And then the same with the palletizing, where normally you would have a person having to do that. You've taken that, I guess what they call the triple D, dirty, dark, and dangerous. dangerous. Yes, there it is. Taking those three, you know, out of the way, 
and having a robot do it, you're not getting rid of an employee. You're moving them up to something which can better apply their skills. Yes. And, that, and that really ties into, because again, and I think you can speak to this a little bit more, it, it's we're dealing with a workforce, we're at the crisis level, yep. and we need these things to also bring in younger generations who are used to working with iPhones and iPads and things like that, because this kind of technology isn't too far advanced for them. So sure. what other workforce type things have you seen out there? So um, over at the Belden booth, there's a student over there, a high school student from Glenbrook South High School in Glenville, Illinois. And over the summer, there was a team of students working with the folks at Belden and some ro- robotics, um, some technology from Emerson, some conveyor technology, some HMIs, some sensors, some vision. And they're trying to educate the younger, this high school and even younger on not just the robotics, you know, competitions that we see mm-hmm. that you generally you'd see them doing a fun little application. We want like some real, real world type applications. Now, granted, what they're doing is laminating a business card and I have one in my pocket, but the student is actually using technology that they've never used before. So the vision system, the database, the robotics, of course, the sensors and, you know, the motion control and the industrial networking. And, you know, he's saying he could never, ever in the high school engineering class get this education. But talking to the folks at Belden, Chris Noble, who's uh, the global director over there, he is trying to teach them more about critical thinking and deadlines and figuring out, all right, this is going wrong. How do I correct it? Right. Right. Not push through the exact same application, but what do I do differently to make this work? Because you know, on the manufacturing floor, Mm -hmm. things go wrong all the time. So you have to have that critical thinking of how this will work. So I also want to point out that this program was put in place with the help of PMMIU Skills Fund. Very cool. That's fantastic. And again, it just seems to be a theme that keeps coming up that we're getting away from thinking of manufacturing and the factory floor as this black and white picture from the 50s where everything's gray and it's greasy. and It's high tech and and things that, again, a kid in high school who already knows how to do a lot of this stuff can can apply right now. And And that's... That's what we like to see because we need people to be working in this workforce for years to come. Yes. I'm, I've not <laughs> forgot about you, Karen. I apologize. What have you seen out there that you would like to share with the folks? Um, well, one thing, I didn't get a chance on Monday in the Daily Download to talk anything about COVID-19. And obviously, in the Healthcare Packaging Expo, so much of the machinery there has been supporting those efforts for you know the last 16 or 12 months. Um, there's something cool that I wanted to talk about, which is a new pierceable foil lidding for diagnostics. And this is AccuPierce from Paxis. Um, obviously, COVID is an absolute tragedy. Um, one of the byproducts of it is just the boom in diagnostics needs. So this is not just a matter of the sheer volume of people that need diagnostics. But at this point, we've seen a shift in consumer expectations that now they see that they can get diagnostics. You know, they're used to having to go to the clinic and do everything Mm -hmm. at the doctors and, you know, sometimes wait weeks and wait a long time. And now people have become accustomed to, you know, getting results in an hour, sometimes, sometimes 15 minutes, you know, these rapid tests. And, you know, once you let that out of the bag for a consumer, they don't move backwards. They don't wait longer. And so there are hundreds of companies now 
who are trying to develop diagnostics, not just for COVID-19, but for a range of disease states. And so what that means is that we're needing a lot of innovation in diagnostics. And so something that's cool about AccuPierce is basically it allows for a clean, quick puncture in these very sensitive testing environments. So it's usually a probe that's um, going in and, you know, that needs to be fast, repeatable. But the struggle there is that while it needs to be puncturable easily, packaging has to withstand these really strong reagents. In some cases, they can interact with foil litting. Um, Sometimes they can really actually attack the litting. And so they really have to be this very um, sturdy yet pierceable material. So if you're not familiar in these diagnostics, reagents are sitting in lids and you can kind of liken it to the way that um, an ice cube, you know, maker looks. It's these little wells Uh and, you know, it's shrunken down um, and the foil sits on top of that. And so you're having these very narrow um, ceiling areas. Uh, They're very small. And so it's just a lot of factors at once competing. So the lidding consists of this really controlled aluminum foil that is paired with Praxis's chemically resistant high barrier exponent sealant. And so they made it in a way that it's flexible. So it's heat sealable to a variety of common reagent uh, materials. So that's polypropylene, polyethylene, and COC. And so I think that's just a really important area that sometimes people overlook is Absolutely. Is this innovation to really push diagnostics forward because think of all the things that we couldn't do in our society if we didn't have those answers in front of us. You know, so much commerce, so much travel, so much everything would be stopped, you know, without knowing are you positive for this, you know, disease state or are you not? So I thought that was a really that, interesting I mean, one. it's fascinating. It's amazing. And it's yeah. it's something that as you're saying it, like you're thinking of things in your head that that could be applied to for other, right. whether it's a lower level sickness, you know, a cold or the flu or something exactly. like that, where you don't have to go to a doctor or don't have yeah. to go get the test because you can take it yourself. And that, that would be home. a really unique and, uh, and kind of cool op- application to come out of this. Very interesting. Did I miss anybody? I feel like I have it. No, I, I, I would like to just say something. This is about the automation in general, and mm-hmm. you, you mentioned workforce. Um, just the thirst for automation that's on the show floor right now, it's, it's, it's unlike what I've seen previously. And one very high-level uh, OEM, let's say multiple OEMs, have said that the conversation used to be for any level of automation, particularly uh, the latest automation, these track systems, these mm-hmm. planar systems, is what's the ROI? What's the payout? What's you know how long is it going to take to pay itself Absolutely. off? That conversation is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Conversation is how soon can I get it, and mm-hmm. can I be the first person in line to get it? Mm-hmm. And here's a PO right here in the sh- in the uh, in the booth. Right. You know, we've seen that happen in the, this week. You know, or these last few days, where people are trying to get ahead of their competitors yep. for a limited supply of because we know lead times are a big problem mm-hmm. right now. Um, so it, you know whether it's you know just getting the, the machine up and running or getting the machine into the building, uh, whatever these uh, end users can do uh, to, to bend over backwards and, and, to, and to get that machine up and running and going, uh, they're not worrying about really uh, the ROI at this point. And they that's, just need it. like you said, it's always was the number one thing was when's the return on investment to invest in, in this robotics or automation. And it seems to me to have been one of the biggest holdups all this time. And I think we've seen over the past 18 months that you've had to incorporate it like you said, or you're going to fall behind. And now they're realizing as everyone has just been trying to keep pace, essential businesses, everyone had to stay open, that going forward, you're going to need the latest and greatest. Or like you said, it's not a competitive advantage anymore and you're falling behind. Well, it's right back to the workforce issue. I mean, people are just, I'm hearing so much of that this week. They're just clamoring for people that they cannot get. So they have no choice but to automate 
And the, the, the flip side of that too is is they're clamoring about supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you've got yeah, both of those put together and everybody's going to be grabbed. I think they, just to jump in, I think the OEMs too are being um, really flexible on how they're bringing their machines to market. Or I know like Robex just recently now making their machines available, they're leasing them. I know it's not that new of a concept, mm-hmm. but it's more about let's get the machine in there quickly and then we'll follow up with our our services. Yep. So so the technology itself is it's not always a differentiator. I think we're moving more into this service kind oriented of machine type. as a service. I think is yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely seeing a little bit more focus in the booth in terms of like being able to help with integration. You know, not the component, the in feed and the out feed of two yep. different machines don't work right. So there's a lot more focus on you know, helping out with that. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, basically a service. Um, Making it more, and it's more of a relationship versus I'm buying a piece of equipment and then yeah, I'll see you in 30 years if something yeah. happens to it. Right. right. Absolutely. Right. But I do have something on the flip side of that, which is oh. that there's a lot of new life science technology at the show that is bridging some really necessary gaps um, for the small and mid-sized production companies. So, you know, we do tend to see the bells and whistles and the really high-speed machinery, but at the same time, I don't think we realize necessarily how much companies rely on these smaller and mid-size, you know, sometimes little tabletop, benchtop systems, especially in life sciences. So I just kind of wanted to note um, that I saw the Groninger Labwork series, which is tabletop liquid filling and stoppering and um, sealing systems, and this is for R&D personalized medicines, bile syringes, and another place where this really comes into play is compounding pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, these are really important pieces of machinery. Something cool with that is that the controls are web-based, so while the machines are manually operated, um, it requires fewer people in these kind of clean room type areas, so that's really a help. And also, Interis has a mini manual aggregation station. We didn't really get too much into traceability, but if you check my site, it's full of traceability information. We are hurtling towards 2023 deadlines for serialization requirements, and so um, Interis uh, created this mini manual aggregation station. It is, if you happen to see it at the booth, I mean, it is not much larger than this laptop, certainly taller, but, you know, the footprint is very small. Um, And that's going to help companies who are like smaller and mid-sized outputs basically get compliant with aggregation. Um, It also supports something that we kind of overlook sometimes, which is warehouse and distribution center rework. And so you're able to kind of implement these really small compact systems in a distribution center and basically make sure that product is flowing through our supply chain. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of rework that takes place. And if you're not doing it in a timely manner, it can cause drug shortages because you need to make sure that product is is flowing smoothly and not getting quarantined and not getting held up. And so I do kind of want to also highlight these sort of smaller benchtop machines that are putting in a lot of work. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of times we get a lot of the innovation from these smaller companies Mm -hmm. that that are kind of adjusting on the fly. Right. And figuring out how to make things work. And from that, you get these innovations that then the bigger companies swoop in and, yeah. and want to kind of mimic. So that's that's great. And I'm glad that you you got to add that in. So I guess with that in mind, these are just some of the, the many innovations that you can see at Pack Expo Las Vegas and Healthcare Packaging Expo. I would also like to, to highlight that going forward, we're going to have Pack Expo East. That's March 21st through the 23rd in Philadelphia. So I just one more time would like to thank Aaron, Karen, Matt, and Stephanie for taking some time to come off the show floor, share this with the people at home, and let everybody know what they can find at the Pack Expo shows. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone 
and search for Unpacked with PMMI.